Well, hopefully that'll last you for a few minutes, keep you awake. Um, And then he spoke, right? Yes. Uh, My name is Greg. Welcome to One Life Community Church. We are glad you're here with us. And whether, again, you're here online or on our digital platform, we are just excited uh, that you can be here with us today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Dear God, I give you great thanks today for your presence with us. Uh, Ask that you would speak to us, uh, God, that even though some of us are here and some of us are elsewhere, uh, we know that that is not an issue for you. Uh, that you can unite us, uh, you can bring us together. Um, yeah, and I pray that for us and for the church overall, uh, that you really would be uniting your people um, and bringing uh, all people to know you. Um, yeah, I ask this in your son's name. Amen. Um, before we dive into stuff this morning, I just want to say that I'm going to be up here saying some stuff, and, and, and I hopefully it's good stuff, Uh, but I always want you to be taking the stuff that we're talking about and asking, how does this fit into my day-to-day life, right? Because I know some of you, and I know some of your lives a little bit, but you're the ones who are kind of the experts on your life, and so um, I just want to ask you, as we're going through this stuff, just be thinking, have that kind of plan in your mind. How does this impact my day-to-day life, the people I'm with, the places I go? Um, I think that'll be helpful. Um, we are uh, sort of rounding the last turn uh, before we head into sort of the home stretch of our summer sermon series, uh, looking through the book of Galatians. Um, if you remember, uh, Galatians is a letter that was written uh, by this guy named Paul to a group of newer churches that were started in what is modern-day southern Turkey, this area called Galatia. Um, And these are some churches that Paul actually helped start, and so he's got a deep passion and care and love for them. And that's what's going to make some of this interesting, but Paul himself is just an interesting person. Uh, His first encounters with the early church were not great. Um, He was uh, a Pharisee, which is a group of people, uh, if you've had a chance to read through the Gospels, who were very active in sort of... Uh, conflicts with Jesus. They were trying to stop him and then eventually trying to kill him and took part in his execution. Uh, But Paul uh, was not just a part of that group. Later on, once the early church had just started, he was actively involved in persecuting the early church. We read in the book of Acts that he was uh, there when one of the leaders, this person named Stephen, was being executed and he approved of that. Um, and, and the sense is that it's really this descriptive scene where it's as this is happening, people are throwing down their coats uh, with this sense that, that Paul is, is really an elevated character. Um, and so he's there. Uh, but then it also says really quickly after that that Paul goes to the high priest and asks for specific uh, privileges to go to Damascus. Uh, and there he, what he's asking for is the ability to go and arrest uh, Jesus' uh, followers there um, and have them uh, brought in and often beaten and uh, tortured and other things. And so he doesn't have a very good sort of uh, starting point with uh, the church. But on his way to Damascus, Paul has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus and literally gets blinded and knocked down. And Jesus asks the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and at this point, Paul doesn't even know who this is. So he basically says, look, I have no idea uh, who you are or what this is about. And Jesus tells him what's going on. And Paul goes on. There's another guy named uh, Ananias who 
has a vision, and God speaks to him in this vision and says, hey, Ananias, there's this guy named Paul, or Saul, his name's Saul at this point, who I want you to go see. Um, and Ananias is like, uh, is this the Saul that I've heard about? Like, that goes around, like, arresting us and torturing us, and I'd like to not do that, basically. This is the sense of it. Um, but God says, yep, that's it, and yes, you should go. And he goes and finds Saul. Again, he's, he's blinded at this point. Ananias prays for him, puts his hand over his eyes, and it says something like scales fell off of his eyes. And at that point, his name switched from Saul to Paul, um, and, uh, and then he becomes one of the leaders of uh, the church. Uh, and this is... Uh, and not just that, but he also becomes what is called the apostle to the Gentiles, which is going to be really significant in some of the things we're looking at today. Um, I mentioned that he was a Pharisee, and one of the things that we have to know about this is that Pharisees were very, very concerned about keeping the law, which is uh, found in the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. And um, this was super meaningful to them because it, it arose out of a time where the the kings and then the government of Israel was really going astray. And this group rose up and said, no, we got to get back on track. And so that became the Pharisees. And they were really, really uh, strict on uh, Torah obedience. And so Paul, this was part of his identity. And, and because it wasn't just uh, like religious ritual, but it was their national identity. It was how they showed everyone else that we are uh, not just a unique people, but we are uniquely God's chosen People. And so that was how they tied that together, that these are the way that we reflect that in the world. Um, now, Jesus changed the way Paul looked at everything, uh, and how he looked at this law was no exception, uh, where once it was this foundational shaping and informing and even transforming thing, um, and even a couple weeks ago we saw uh, N.T. Wright referred to it as a babysitter, um, but for Paul now, something has changed and something is different. Um, and, uh, and so his whole life has been rearranged. And the, 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 one of the things we're going to see in this is that there's a couple of aspects of the law that are really going to be important. One was circumcision, and the other one was uh, sort of purity laws and, and being clean versus unclean. And that was really dependent, in this case, on who you were associated with. Uh, and so for um, a Pharisee, for sure, to be with a Gentile, which is someone who was not Jewish, to be with a Gentile made you unclean. Right? And that was mostly because they often, uh, the Gentiles often had a ton of gods that they worshipped and lots of idols. And so for a Jewish person to be with them sort of made you unclean. And so it was not okay to be with, um, uh, to be with Gentiles. And so all this is going to come into play in this story that we're looking at. Um, the last thing I want to say about Paul before we dive into stuff is that he took this trip. And I, I just want to give you a little reference here. This is... The arrows represent his first, uh, what they call his missionary journeys, and the, the red is the direction he went out, and the blue is the direction he came back. That green area is what was known as Galatia, and so the area where these three churches are is right inside that circle, right? Uh, and so that's where all this is, is taking place, and sometimes it's just cool to have a little reference in, in, in our minds to, to see that. Now, um, the, the text that we're going to be looking at today is uh, found in Galatians 4, 
uh, and it's verses 12 through 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Um, and so I'm going to be reading that. If you have your Bible, you can open it up, follow along there, or there's a Bible tab on our online platform, or you can read along on the screen, wherever your screen happens to be at, or you can just sit and listen. There's probably plenty of other options I haven't thought of, but you have a lot of options. So uh, this is Galatians 4, 12 through 5, 1. It says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, there is a ton of stuff happening in this passage, and I just want to say, We're not going to get to all of it. Last week, Ben preached an amazing sermon uh, on the previous section, and and he noted that this might be, uh, lots of scholars say that Galatians is probably the most complex of all of Paul's writings. He's wrestling with and working through some of his most intense theology, and he cares deeply about this situation. Um, But most, most of the things that I read and all the scholars that I looked at said, that's all true. But this section that we're looking at today is sort of the, the pinnacle of all of that. There are so many uh, illustrations and stuff happening in here. Um, and so just be attentive to that. What things do you notice and what do you hear? Because there, there are probably going to be things that I don't get to, but you will. And so please, please be attentive to those. Um, a little bit of framework. There's two sections in here that I think are worth noting. 
Uh, the first one is 12 through 10, and this is a series of kind of these rapid-fire comments, uh, questions and responses to this group of agitators from Jerusalem, and he's going to move through that. And then the second section is uh, verses 21 through uh, the first verse in chapter 5, and it's this really sort of deeply passionate, intense argument, on, and it's in the literary form of an allegory, which we'll get to in a moment. But this is really the focal point, I think, of the whole letter, that everything he's been talking about builds to this point, and you're going to feel it. It's like the last turn. Has anyone here ever run the 400 in track? Okay. When I was, uh, I was not a runner in track, so don't get me wrong. I was a thrower. Um, and, uh, but the track coach uh, my first year said, okay, I need all like the animals, right? I need all like the, just the crazy animals who are going to come because you got to run the 400 relay. And it's just everyone does one lap around the whole thing. And all the throwers were like, Arr! and then, you know, we start running. And after the first turn, we're like, I'm not an animal anymore. I just want to lay down. Um, and our legs get really thick and we kind of start clomping. Um, but when you watch people who really can do this well, they go around and as soon as they hit that last turn and they're in that last straightaway, something changes about the whole thing. And that's what's going to happen. This is that last turn and then next week you're going to really feel like this whole open up and this big change in the tone and all this stuff. But that last turn is critical, right? You have to really dig through that. And so Paul is going to push and push in this section. And it is really, I think, quite intense. Um, The other thing about this is that uh, they're framed um, by these two commands. The first one uh, is this one that's kind of odd, where he says, become like me as I became like you. And we're going to get to that in a second. But the second command is uh, at the very end in 431 and 51. And it starts with this quote from Genesis that says, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And then it ends with Paul wrapping all this up with some, some really familiar sayings about freedom and, and what it means to, to not be under a yoke of slavery. Um, and then these two sections have two things in common. They're both trying to show the depth of friendship that Paul and the Galatians share. Uh, that's going to come up right away. But they're also both trying to expose the presence and the teaching of these agitators from Jerusalem as th- this disruption to the flourishing life um, that the, the Galatians were able to experience, this thing that Paul calls Christ in me, right, that God revealed Christ in me to Paul. And that's what he's really concerned about, that this group is going to disrupt and, and hinder the Galatian churches from being able to experience that. And it's also a disruption to that friendship we just mentioned. And so all those things are taking place here. Now, this first command that we mentioned, the one that says, become like me for I became like you, which when I first read it, In the past, I was like, okay, Paul doesn't make any sense to me. But what he's saying is, look, I was in a place where I was under this yoke of slavery. And then I became like you, right? When you moved out of that, that's what I did too. We we did something similar. But now you've gone back, right? And I'm concerned that you're moving back. And so become like me as I became like you, right? And so... It's also this way to sort of connect them. We've been through the same experience. Remember, we, we, we did this thing, and, and we understood it, and we were together. And so now he's going to kind of recount their history as he reminds them of their first encounters. Um, he says, uh, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and through my condition was a tr- and though my condition was a trial to you, You did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God 
as Christ Jesus himself. Now, there's tons of speculation, and we're all really interested in, like, oh, what was Paul's illness? Maybe it was his eyes, because later on he talks about, see, I'm writing in my own hand with such big letters, um, and, and so people want to know, right? And then there's this one spot in here where Paul says in just a second, he's going to say, and, and you loved me so much that basically you would have torn your own eyes out and given them to me, which is Paul just escalating really quickly, I think. Um, but... Lots of people think, okay, so this illness must have been attached to his eyes. But then it also says this thing about, like, you didn't scorn me. You didn't, um, and it's hard to figure out if that's tied to uh, whether it was something that actually affected his appearance, right? That some people would say, oh, you turn away uh, because, you know, it's hard to look at you. There are some diseases that uh, in that time would do that. Or if it's just to say that it was such a burden, like, Oh, Paul, he's really sick, and it's hard to take care of him and these kinds of things. But Paul's saying, you didn't do any of that for whatever reason. Um, in fact, you treated me like an angel or like the Messiah, like Jesus Christ himself. Um, and so it's, it's a big deal to Paul, their friendship and remembering that. that. Do you remember how we started out? Like, you cared for me so much. And then there's this real switch what happened to all your joy? This is a really harsh question. Have you ever had someone ask you this kind of question where everything seems like it's going really well, and then someone says, hey, what, what happened to you? Right? And it has this weight to it, especially on the heels of such a strong buildup regarding their friendship that Paul's reminding them, this is how close we are, and it's from that space that I want you to hear Right? Something's happened. Right? And then he follows that up with an even harder question, I think. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Whew. What a hard question to ask someone. But Paul is not just in this for their friendship because I think his end goal is that they would remember that Jesus is the real thing this is all about. The one who inaugurated this new kingdom, right? And that's, that's what Paul's talking about, where it, it's the only place that has the power to unite people, and not just unite people, but to, to, to let everyone know that they are a child of promise. And we're all welcome and have space made for us, meaning we have this space of belonging in God's family. And he's really just said, look, you and I are good friends. And we've been through this stuff together. But what's happened? And now he's going to comment on this group, the agitators that are there. And he says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom... I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. With a big exclamation point. I am perplexed. These agitators don't have your best in mind. They want you to be zealous, but zealous for them. They want you to be looking up to them. They want you to be promoting them. But what are they doing? They're shutting you out. If we remember earlier in, in, in the letter, there's this moment where Peter starts to do the same thing. Peter is also one of the apostles. And 
he and Paul are hanging out together and they're all eating with the Gentiles, but then this group from Jerusalem shows up and Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. He stops hanging out with them. And Paul confronts him right to his face. He says, you can't be doing that. That's not okay. This is not what the kingdom is about at all. And so Paul is saying, look, this group is shutting you out. Why are you turning to them? Because Paul wants the Galatians to have zeal for Christ. The agitators want the Galatians to have zeal for them. But Paul, no, it's all about Jesus. And I think at the end of the day, if the Galatians landed on following Jesus and leaving the the group from Jerusalem behind, but they were really mad at Paul and didn't want to talk to him for a long time, I think Paul would be hurt, but I think he would say, amen. Because it's not about Paul. Paul goes on to say that he's perplexed. He's confused about the choices that they're making. He's bringing that up to them. And I just want to ask, side question, how many of you have friends that you could have these kinds of conversations with that could really sit down with you and say, what happened? Or that you could ask that of them. How many of you have friends that you could really sit down with and they could say, I think you're really running in a different path right now. Where, where are we going? So many of us have instead unfriended people because they don't agree with us, because they're hard to talk with, and we do have to draw boundaries for sure. But I think sometimes, I know for me, I kind of get in this mode, and all of a sudden I'm like, mm, unfriend, 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 right? And it's, it's not a healthy space to be in, so I have to, I have to settle myself, I have to come back, calm down a little bit, and reassess those things. But do we have those friends that can really call us on things? Have you ever been in a conversation that had a moment where someone felt the need to say something like, look, if that's how you want to live, here's how it's going to be, right? I feel like growing up, there were times where my parents would say, okay, you want that responsibility? Here's how that's going to go. Some of those were great. Some of those were really hard. But this is precisely what Paul does in the next section. Um, and, and remember that this letter would also be read in the gathered community. So there's a chance that this group from Jerusalem, what I've been calling the agitators, that they're going to be there because this letter wouldn't be read just once. It would often be read multiple times. And in this next session, uh, Paul is just going to really, he's going to kind of take everyone to school on this. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? It's his way of saying, if you want to be under the law, let me tell you what the law says. And he starts with Abraham who he's been talking about previously. And I want to give you a quick backstory on Abraham. Um, Abraham is a guy in the Old Testament who's given a promise by God that he would be the father of many and that his descendants would be the blessing to all the nations, the whole world. And he and his wife Sarah were getting older and they weren't having any kids and so these questions came up. Oh, maybe the promise isn't what we thought it was. Maybe it's changed. Have you ever been in a space like that where you're waiting for something to happen? And not just waiting because... Because you needed to, or because you, you know, but, but, you know, like waiting in a movie line or something, but you're waiting for someone to do something. Someone has told you, hey, I'll be here at this time, I'll do this for you, this will happen, and then you're waiting for that, and then after a while, it doesn't happen at all, and you start to wonder, is that really going to happen, and it finally gets to a point where you say, actually, you know what, I don't think it's going to happen, so I'm just going to have to do things on my own. And so Abraham and Sarah, they decide this. They've been waiting for this child to show up, for their descendants to show up, and it's not happening. 
So they decide that Abraham should sleep with Sarah's servant or slave named Hagar and see if they could start this promised family through her. And so Hagar and Abraham have a son named Ishmael. And as you can imagine, this causes some relational tension between everyone involved. God tells Abraham and Sarah, you're still going to have a child of your own. As difficult as that is to believe, that's still going to happen. And they finally do. And this child is named Isaac. And this one moment while Isaac is being celebrated uh, at this feast, Sarah sees that Ishmael, the, the son of Abraham and Hagar, is mocking Abraham. And so she tells Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Right? And, and this basically feels like a reality show right? when you're watching it, that, that you can sit there and go like, why is this drama? Uh, it's, it, and there's it, tons of it everywhere. And there's so many things in this story that happen in terms of how women are treated, how children are treated that are just awful and bad. And Paul has this way of taking this story and doing something with it in a different way. And so we get to this next section, um, Galatians 4, 21 through 5, when he says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, I want to walk through this a little bit. And so we start with Abraham, who's the recipient of the promise, right? And then we have Sarah, who's Abraham's wife and represents the free woman in this story. And then we have Hagar, who is Sarah's slave. Um, and I have the dotted line there to represent what I think is, um, in Abraham and Sarah's mind, it represents a lesser relationship, whether that should be or not, that's the way it is viewed uh, by them. And so that, that represents that. And Hagar represents and is a slave woman. Now, Isaac is the child of Abraham and the free woman, Sarah. And Ishmael is the child of Abraham and the slave woman. And these just want to fill this out a little bit. So, Sarah is through the promise. Hagar is through the flesh. And what that means then is that... Um, Isaac is a child of the promise, and Ishmael is a child of the flesh. At the same time, in the blue, um, for Sarah, faith in Jesus is the distinguishing aspect. And this is what Paul is going to argue, that the, the, the child of the free 
This whole thing they've been talking about, the child of the free, Jesus is the distinguishing aspect. Hagar, representing the slave woman through the flesh, is faith in Jesus because Paul never, never, ever says or even indicates that these people from Jerusalem, the agitators, are not Jesus followers. Um, But they've added in this thing of Torah obedience. Okay, and then... Down at the bottom again in blue. So that, what that means, uh, actually you have green and Sarah, that there's gospel, right? And you have in Hagar the Jerusalem church. And Paul's really clear in here. And he says this is figurative, but that this represents the church in Jerusalem and how they are behaving and living out uh, their stuff. What that means for Isaac is through the gospel that Isaac is then uh, represents freedom in the spirit um, and that Ishmael... Uh, represents uh, enslavement and as Ben said last week the the consequences of the law and then the last one is that that means that people following the promise are uh, the true people of God and then people following um, the flesh uh, are um, all the agitators and what what they believe and so Paul is really clearly identifying these lines and and how they work and in this allegory which is where you take uh, stories in a character and have them represent reality um, and uh, and so he's been doing that here and it's really there's so much stuff in here we could have like a full 10-week sermon series just on this section but I think if you can sort of follow this that the line through Sarah into Isaac is what Paul is using to represent the gospel, faith in Jesus, life and freedom in the spirit. And then the side of Hagar, he's using to represent the church in Jerusalem that is seeming to be uh, imposing these extra things that are not part of the gospel on the Galatians and that that leads to slavery. Now, in all of this, what Paul is getting at is, is don't go down that route of slavery. Let's live free. Let's not live under a yoke of slavery. And he interestingly says, again, right? He says, let's not again live under a yoke of slavery, right? Now, one of the things we've been talking about is that this group in Galatia, they were not Jewish. And so he's not saying that you would again go live under the law, but he's saying we all at one point were under some kind of system that had enslaved us, whether that was the law or our sin or some other system, but we've all been under that. And so he's saying whatever it was, don't go back to that. And that this system that is being proposed to you by these agitators from Jerusalem is going to do just that. So don't go back under that. Because you are children of promise. And the reality that that brings with it is that anyone can be a member in Jesus' family. There are things that people have to give up and things that we have to embrace. But for this group of Jewish people, this time of rituals of circumcision and remaining pure, not associating with Gentiles, and other things like Sabbath keeping. Those were both ways to worship and they were part of their national identity. But this group is saying, and to be a Christ follower, you have to do those things too. And the question I think we have to ask as a church constantly is that what things are we telling people you have to do in order to be a Christ follower that's not really part of the gospel of Jesus. 
And it could be that when I say that, you're thinking of the church universal, like the church all around the world. Maybe the church in Western civilizations, the church in Eastern civilizations. Could be our country or certain parts of our country. Could be your neighborhood, city, state. Could be in your day-to-day life, in your workplace, the stores you shop at, in your home, in your classrooms, the places you go. But this, I think, is our work in the world right now. I think there are so many ways that we do this without even thinking about it. So many ways that when people meet us or when people walk in the front door, they realize, oh, I'm not part of this. This isn't for me. I don't know. I don't understand this. And we're asking people when they come in to to take big leaps and to try to learn systems and try to participate in things that they've never done before. And I think we just need to be careful with those things, right? And then on much bigger levels, there are things I believe that whether it's, um, and, and, and I'm going to, uh, you can take this however you want. Um, I think adherence, adherence to any one political party and saying that if, if you don't adhere to this party or that party, then you're not a Christian, I think Paul would say that's not Okay. I think you would say that's a false gospel. And I think there are other examples that if you start thinking again in your own life that we could probably come up with. But how do we then identify those things and then remove those things? And I want to tell you that as a staff and an elder board, we are absolutely open to people coming to us and saying, I think this thing we're doing isn't in line with the gospel. Right? Because we do believe that we are a priesthood of believers. Right? That this group represents the Holy Spirit to each other, not just one group. Right? So if you have things, please, please let us know um, because we need to hear from you. It's when we talk about putting your answers on, uh, on connection cards. For us, that's one of the ways we start to learn how the Spirit's moving is by hearing from you. So with all that, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I uh, want to let you know that the prayer team is available to pray with you um, uh, as we, we, we close out our service. Um, I do have some questions in just a second, and then uh, the worship team will play instrumentally, and you'll have some time to reflect on that, um, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. But here's the questions I want us to think about today. Uh, when you hear the phrase, child of promise, what do you think of? It could be anything. What do you think of? Number two. How does thinking about yourself as a child of promise, as we talked about it this morning, influence the way you think about yourself? Lots of us, myself very much included. Hearing from Paul say, you are a child of promise. Hearing Jesus say through Paul, Christ in him, say to me, Greg, you are a child of promise. There are some days I absolutely hang on that, right? How does that impact how you think of yourself? And then lastly, how does Paul's challenge to see everyone as a child of promise, the way we talked about it this morning, influence the way you think about others? That not only is Christ in Paul speaking that to me, but now I can go out and tell other people, you're a child of promise. You're a child of promise.
How does that influence then how I think about others? Because that is, as far as God is concerned, he throws that net wide to include everyone. How does it influence how I think about others? Let's pray, and then again, we'll have a time of reflection, then we'll close with a song and a benediction. Good Jesus, I give you thanks for, uh, for Paul and the stuff he went through. Um, Holy Spirit, how you led and guided him, Lord, on such a, a dramatic transformation to go from being someone who I can't be with people who aren't like me because they're unclean to actually those are the very people I'm going to go to. Lord, I pray that if, if there are people who in our hearts we think of as I can't be around them, they're unclean, not people who we can't be around because it's, it's, it's not healthy for us, like really dangerous. Those, that's different. But people who we think of like I can't because they're unclean. Lord, I pray you would stir in us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would move in us and, and at least begin to help us think in new ways. As, as Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians, for we, we don't see anyone in a worldly way anymore. I pray each one of us would experience those new eyes. Just as Paul had the scales fall off his eyes, help the scales fall off our eyes so we could clearly see the children of promise all around us and in ourselves. I pray that that be the freedom that we can speak about. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.